Hi Freedom Church uh, and welcome back to our Encounter series. I hope this week's been great for you as you sent kids back to school. Um, I wanted to start today just by telling you a story about where I grew up in Newcastle uh, in a place called Biker and that is the Biker Grove. Um, and you know this was a community that was very tightly knit. Uh, you had to know everybody in this community and if you didn't know who people were you could easily get yourself into trouble. And I remember often playing football in my garden with my brothers. There was five of us. So we had our own five-a-side football team, which was brilliant. But very occasionally, we would play on this field opposite the house. And I remember on this one occasion playing and this lad, who was about two years older than myself, approached us. And uh, he was well known in the area. He was proper hard. And everybody knew not to mess with this guy. And uh, he was with his brother. And they came up to us and they asked, can we play football with you? Now, to be honest, this sort of request isn't really a request, it's a demand. It's not the sort of request you can say no to. And the concerns that are going through your head as he asked this request and you think about the consequences are, firstly, if you beat him at football, is he going to smash your face in? Or secondly, is he going to run off with your football? Thankfully, neither of those things happened on this occasion. And I remember this occasion so vividly because actually this was the day that I became friends with this boy. Because we sat down after the game and we started chatting. And as you do, we started bigging each other up about our football skills. But then he asked me a question. And to be honest, as a kid, this was the sort of question that I absolutely dreaded. You see, we lived in the Manse. This was a house that was attached to a church in Biker. And so across Biker, we were known as the Churchies. And uh, he asked me this question. He said, do you believe that God heals people? Now, I'd grown up in a faith-filled house and I'd been used to when someone gets sick, we pray for them. And you know, sometimes we saw the miraculous healings happen. Sometimes we didn't. But I told him, I had to tell him, yes, I, I do. I've seen healings happening. And he went on to tell me that day that his mum had been diagnosed with cancer. And would I pray for her? Now, this was one of the hardest kids in Biker at the time, who everyone would avoid at all costs, um, asking me to pray for his mum, simply because he loves her and he was desperate to see her healed of cancer. Now, why am I telling you this today? Well, we're going to be looking at a story of someone actually who would have been pretty hard also, and he would have been feared by many. In fact, to the Jewish race, he was without doubt an enemy, an oppressor. And yet he came on this occasion asking Jesus to heal someone who he cared deeply about. And the results were remarkable. So if you want to turn with me to Matthew chapter 8, we're going to be looking at the faith of the centurion. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the words and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes and I say to my servant, do this. And he does that. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, 
I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. Now this account is uh, also used in Luke's gospel as well. I'm using this Matthew's account. But when we're talking about faith, I have to be honest, if you personally, if I dig down and I look at my faith, it can feel at times fragile. I don't know how you feel about your faith. I mean, lockdown and not being able to meet uh, as a church, as family, has definitely tested areas of my faith and resilience. So to have Jesus here, the saviour of the world, the one who was and is and is to come, is astounded or amazed by this man's faith was something we have to take note of. In fact, Jesus only uses this word amazed twice in the Gospels. And I want to just pick up on a couple of things that I think may help us to understand why Jesus was amazed. And I want to end by looking at why we can be a people of faith. So firstly, his identity, this centurion, his identity made his faith amazing. What do I mean by this? Well, firstly, he was a Roman centurion. He was under the authority of Caesar. And to be a centurion meant he was over 100 men. He had over 100 men under his control. He definitely would have been involved in some bloody battles. He would have had to have proven himself. He would have had a stature, a kudos amongst the Romans. His job was literally to rule over the Jewish nation, to keep them in check. And he would have definitely have been a Roman who would have grown up believing in many of the Roman gods like Jupiter, the god of sky and thunder, or Mars, the god of war, or Venus, the goddess of fertility. And this little nation of Israel was not impressive. It was not mighty. It was no, of no real importance. Jesus himself was not a king or a warrior or from a prominent family. His appearance, we're told, was of no significance. He didn't have an army of people following him. It was more a small rabble of misfits. And this centurion, he wasn't a religious leader spending time in the synagogues, listening to Jesus' teaching and being astounded. He wasn't even one of the disciples spending their time with Jesus and seeing him interact with people and seeing him perform all these miracles. I have to be honest, the Roman centurion was honestly one of the least likely candidates to be honoured with this title by Jesus as a man with amazing faith. Everything about his past, his present, seemed to put him at odds with being a Jesus follower. But I want to say, thankfully, God doesn't look at the outsides. He looks at the hearts. And this centurion loves this servant enough to put himself out there to bring his request to Jesus. So his identity makes this amazing. His humility, I think, is amazing. He says in this, he says, he says, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. 
I know sometimes my wife can be embarrassed when people knock on the door and our house looks like a hurricane. It's just blowing through uh, the middle of it. It's our kids, obviously. But imagine how you'd feel if you opened the door and the queen was standing outside or your favorite pop star. Your first thought probably would not be, please come in. But I think it may be somewhat like this centurion. It may be, I don't deserve to have you in my house. I'm not worthy to have you come into my house. I can't have you come in. And the centurion in this story recognizes something about Jesus. He recognizes that he is a figure that is to be highly honored. And there's an awe going on here about this centurion. A reality for him that he is in the presence of someone very special. Now, being a centurion, his actions could have looked very different. He could have taken Jesus by force, put a sword to his throat and demanded he heal this servant. He was probably fairly wealthy. He could have decided to try and pay Jesus. Listen, here's some money, please come and heal my servant. But what we see is him approaching Jesus with humility and honor. And he uses this word Lord. That's how he addresses Jesus. And I want to say this was massive because he actually, what he was doing there, he's putting himself under the authority of Jesus. He's declaring Jesus, his Lord, his master. And I want to say this was like treason to Caesar because he worked for Caesar. He was under Caesar and Caesar was to be declared Lord. He was the king of that empire. So for a centurion to declare someone other than Caesar as lords, honestly would have been punishable by death. But he clearly makes plain his position or his posture of humility in the presence of Jesus. And finally, I want to just talk about his understanding of authority. This centurion had understood the power and authority Jesus had, I think even maybe before his disciples had. He says, but say the words and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. Do you know, I love the film Gladiator. You've got Russell Crowe there who becomes enslaved to the Romans and he's made to fight as a gladiator against other men or animals. And it was a fight to the death in this arena. But for Romans, this was just for entertainment. And at the end of certain battles, Caesar had the power in front of the whole arena to grant life or freedom to the winners. And he would literally, you'd see this hand wobbling like this and it would either be a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And that could mean life or death. And the authority that uh, Caesar had in this arena, in this kingdom, was massive. Essentially, you couldn't question Caesar's authority. But the centurion understood authority. And although he was under the authority of Caesar as a centurion, he displays this amazing faith because he recognizes that this Jesus of Nazareth yielded a power far greater than Caesar ever could. 
Just say the words and my servant will be healed. What we don't know about this guy, we don't know whether this centurion has seen Jesus perform any miracles. We know he's probably heard of him through word of mouth and that spread. But we know he has this amazing faith in who Jesus is, what he can and will do. Just say the words. You know, the kingdom of Rome was vast. It was powerful. It was extending at an incredible pace. But he understands that Jesus has uh, a power and authority that Caesar never had. He has power and authority over sickness because he was a king and a conqueror over not just a physical territorial kingdom. He was a king and a conqueror over a spiritual kingdom. And Jesus ruled. And this really was remarkable faith shown by the centurion. But, you know, he took things even further because up to now in the Gospels, every miracle that we have seen Jesus perform was either laying hands on someone or Jesus actually being present. Like at the wedding of Cana, he turned the water into wine. But here the centurion says, just say the word and it will happen. And he's trusting it's going to be done, even though his servant isn't there. So this centurion is asking Jesus to do something that is not yet being seen or even done. And this astonishes Jesus. He's astonished that he has grasped and believed who he is and the power that he possesses. He has somehow understood he was speaking to the one who simply spoke creation into being out of nothing. He understood that this God man standing in front of him had no limits on what he could and would do. And as we look at this faith, it is so very simple. He took Jesus at his words. He believed who he was, who he says he was. He recognised the authority and power that Jesus had and he believed. And the fact that we see Jesus heal in this way from a distance Man, it's such good news for us. Here we are in this virtual world under lockdown at present. We can't meet together in our uh, buildings and we're tuning in from our own living rooms. But this very miracle helps us to understand that there is no barrier to Jesus coming and bringing healing or us experiencing his presence. Whether you're sitting at home, whether you're in your garden, whether you've got other believers with you. Jesus can do the impossible. And I want to say, yes, he wants to, because you know what? He is a God of compassion. But I don't want us to just believe that when we're coming to God, we're sort of pleading for his compassion and mercy. Although that is something that we do. I want to suggest there's something even greater at work here. This isn't just about the compassionate God that we serve. This is about a legal authority that Jesus now has that cannot be resisted in the spiritual realm because he has conquered sin and sickness and death at the cross. So his kingdom of light has come. And you know what? It's going to continue to come whether we have faith for it or not. It will happen simply because of the victory that Jesus have, has won. Now, I've loved seeing many healings happen at Freedom Church. 
You know, we've seen cancers going, allergies disappearing. My own health has been miraculous just seeing how God has intervened and held me up. We've prayed for jobs and seen people get jobs. We've seen legs lengthened. There is so many times that we have seen the power of God as healer. And yet, I think there's just so much more that we're not currently seeing to come. Now, I mentioned earlier that Jesus used this phrase amazing twice, once in this story. And the second time was in Mark chapter six. And he says this. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. I'm sad to say that he used this word also to describe the folks from his own hometown as he ministered amongst them. Do you know, they'd seen him grow up. They knew his family. They knew his backgrounds. And maybe they had just become over familiar with who Jesus was. And he describes their lack of faith as amazing. Not in a good way, obviously. It was his own community's lack of faith that stopped the kingdom of God breaking out in that village. And I have to be honest, this is very sobering to hear and challenging. Because as believers, this is what sets us apart. Very simply that we believe Jesus is who he says he is. He's the son of God. We believe he's over all things. We believe he is able and willing to heal all and save all from eternal separation from God, don't we? And the last thing I'm sure that you want and I want is to have our lack of faith described as amazing. So I want to end by just looking at a few truths that I think we can, uh, that will help us to learn how to be a people of faith. A few things that may just help us to move through what we might see as barriers to being a people of faith. So firstly, coming back to these things that we looked at for the centurion, identity, okay? The centurion, uh, as we know, would have been considered an enemy of the Jews, but the Bible actually tells us that all of us were alienated and at one time were all enemies of God's, no matter what our backgrounds. We've actually chosen to disobey and do things our own way. We're self-centered. But that as we chose to believe in who Jesus is and what he's done for us, as we make him the Lord of our lives, we're told that he actually does something in us. He makes us a new creation. We actually go from being enemies of God or strangers to becoming sons and daughters of the God Almighty that we serve. And I want to say this isn't just about a title. I know you can buy titles online, but they're just a piece of paper. They don't do anything. No, you see, this title that we get as sons and daughters of God come with all the privileges. And it comes with power because he actually says he changes our hearts so that choosing to follow him and believe in his promises become possible. And I want to say when it comes to authority, Jesus not only loves to hear our cries for help or healing, he not only loves to display his power through the miraculous, but he has given us his authority and power to see his kingdom come. 
the great commission that we read of is literally God giving us his authority to go and make disciples, to bring his kingdom of light to planet Earth. Now, I remember having a couple over for dinner and um, we'd, we'd seen this guy, Terry Virgo, uh, praying for people recently. And he'd been praying for people with bad backs. And he recognised that people with bad backs, often the cause was legs. And he would look at their legs and see that normally one leg was a different length to the other. And so we had this amazing faith to pray for people and you could watch and see this leg grow. And when this couple came over, uh, the lady started complaining about how sore her back was. And I remember instinctively, because we'd seen Terry praying for people for their backs um, and seen the miraculous happen, instinctively we, we said, can we have a look and see how long your legs are? She, she thought it was a bizarre request, but as we did it, we could see and her husband could see that her legs were different lengths. And I have to be honest, we asked to pray to see this leg grow. And I have to be honest that my faith felt tiny, if non-existent in that moment. And yet God in his grace healed our friend that night. Not because of our mighty faith, but simply because this is who he is. And I think obedience just to pray for this lady it actually saw a breakthrough in her life and a coming of his kingdom right there in our living room. I want to end by telling you about a man named John G. Lake. He was born in 1870 and he was one of 17 children. We're told that eight of his siblings died um, before, well, as when he was young, but at the age of 16, he was suffering from rheumatism and his legs were misshaped and his body was crooked. And as a result, he ended up walking into a church's local healing room and he was prayed for by an old man there. And he was miraculously healed that evening. And as we read about this man's life, he, we read about the fact that he went on in his life, believing God was a God of the miraculous. And it's estimated that he was responsible for raising over a million converts. He planted over 625 churches and 1,250 preachers came into the ministry over a five-year period through his ministry. We're told that he had such an incredible healing ministry that according to, to statistics, Spokane, this area in Washington, was declared to be the healthiest city in America. Now, in 1908, God sent him to Africa, where his anointed miracle ministry resulted in what has been described as the most extensive and powerful missionary movement in all of Africa. As Gordon Lindsay wrote, during that time, he spent five history making years in South Africa, engaged in a ministry which in some respects rivaled that of the early church. Upon his return to America, Lake established a ministry in Washington, which resulted in no less than 100,000 astounding miracles of healing within the space of five or six years. He then established a similar work in Oregon. And he would say this, he would say, 
when asked what was the secret to his faith. And he would say, if we would just grasp the reality of our position through Jesus Christ, every nation would ring with the praises of God. Now, if you're a Christian listening today, my hope is that faith will arise. Okay, God has called us to heal the sick and he delights in faith. If we can just grasp, just just an ounce of what that centurion or John G. Lake had grasped about the power and authority of God, then I believe our lives and those lives of people around us and the landscape of Liverpool will look very different. Very simply, this centurion believed and he came to Jesus asking for healing. And I know we can get caught up in so many theological questions when it comes to healing, like, is this truly God's will or why does he not heal always? But I want to encourage us to be a people who come to Jesus and ask for his kingdom to come as many times as possible. Let's see what he does. So whether your faith feels strong or non-existent today, I want to say the only way that I think it's going to grow is by giving it a go. Matthew 17, 20 says this, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible. So if you're sitting here this morning and you don't know who this Jesus is, I want to encourage you that he really does heal today. Now, you yourself, you may be sitting there. You may not have the faith for that just yet, but we as Freedom Church would love to be able to pray for you. Uh, I hope you can see from this story that there is nothing from your past or your present that is going to stop Jesus from wanting to answer your requests. So if you're desperate this morning to see a loved one healed, if it's for yourself, we would love to have that request sent to us. You can do that now on our YouTube chat or you can send a request into our Facebook or on our Freedom Church Liverpool website page. And we will pray for you, I can guarantee you that. And we'd love to also invite you along to our Alpha course, which is starting on the 17th of this month, where we can tell you a little bit more about who this Jesus is. We'd love to try and answer some of your questions, but more importantly, we'd love to just to get to know you a little bit more. I hope this blesses you. Have a great week.